Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that because you're already listening to a podcast. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange... The bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. Hello again, Freak Family. I don't know if you can hear this or not, hopefully not too much, but uh, recently a family of crows have moved in right outside the window of our yeah. studio. I'm sorry, in but Orlando. you missed a real opportunity to say that there is a murder outside our apartment. <laughs> And I'm just really, wow. I'm taken aback. Yeah. Wow. I'm a little bit embarrassed. I don't blame you. Actually, I'm <laughs> I'm embarrassed now that you bring that up. Thank you. I don't know if I'll be able to carry on with this episode. <laughs> well, um, you can do your best. I'll do my best. That's, that's really clever. A murder outside. Yes, a murder of crows. And it started out with just a couple of them. Now it's like an entire flock. And they're living... I think on the roof, yeah. right above where we record. And they're chatty today, so I'm, I'm going to get right to it. This is a very strange story. Oh, good. Yeah, it's the strange story of La Palais Ideale. It's located in southeastern France, in Haute-Trive. How it came to be still baffles people, even to this day. Now, let me start by describing this structure. It is massive. It's, it's really big. The southern facade is 80 feet long, 33 feet high, and this is the side that a visitor first sees when they arrive. Now, the architecture and the, and the decor of this palace have been compared to both the Royal Pavilion in Brighton, England, and Gaudi's Sagrada Familia in Barcelona, Spain. <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> yeah, was amazing. So this is a pretty elaborate architectural accomplishment. The northern side has a long path dotted with large openings, and this allows lots of dappling light into the heart of the palace itself. And this side has been described as strikingly forest-like. The walls are coated with moss and seaweed. The pattern in the ceiling, it's a swirling pattern, and it's made from pebbles and seashells, and they outline the many chandeliers. That sounds very gouty because his whole thing is replicating nature in his architecture and, you know, no straight lines, lots of swirly girls, pillars that look like tree trunks, that kind of deal. 
The upper portion of the walls have animals carved in them along the top band, kind of reminiscent of the Egyptian style. Mm. And these animals include ostriches and flamingos and octopi, lions, dragons, and even a polar bear. Nice. There are many poems and quotes that have been hand carved into the stones all over the palace. It's regarded as an extraordinary example of naive art architecture. And that, of course, is something that uh, has been created by somebody with no formal training. Now, the name you said, does that translate to something I might understand? Yes. La Palais Ideal is the ideal palace in, in French. Thank you. I'll speak French. It's a truly spectacular sight to see, but what makes it even more spectacular is that it was built by one man, a mailman, a French postman named Ferdinand Cheval. Cheval was born in 1836, and he passed away August 19, 1924. He was a French mail carrier and built La Palais Ideal with his bare hands over a 33-year period. Oh my gosh. Just by himself, no heavy equipment, nothing. And the idea uh, came to him in a dream that he had. In his journals, he reported that he had this dream and that it was a dream that he built a palace. He also described it as a castle or a series of caves. He said, quote, I cannot express it well. I told no one about it for fear of being ridiculed. And I felt ridiculous myself. I love that shit. Like, I'm just going to do it anyway. (laughs) Yeah, but he didn't do it immediately. Fifteen years went by, and the dream still echoed in his head. Wow. And so one day, he was kind of thinking about it, and he's out on his postal route, and he described what happened. Quote, I was walking very fast when my foot caught on something and sent me stumbling a few meters away, and I wanted to know the cause. My foot had tripped on a stone that almost made me fall. It was a stone of such strange shape that I put it in my pocket to admire it at my leisure. This was the first stone that he collected that would ultimately become part of the Palais. I just love that. (laughs) Every day for years, Ferdinand would pick up a stone or two along his postal route and take it home and add it to the pile. Stop it. It's like a reverse Shawshank Redemption wall pants thing. Yeah. Removal. Right. And he would actually started by putting them in his pants, uh, the stones. He'd carry them home in his in his pocket. But as he described in his his journal after he took that first stone home, quote, the next day I went back to the same place and I found more stones, even more beautiful. I gathered them together on the spot and was overcome with delight. It's a sandstone shaped by water and hardened by the power of time. It becomes hard as pebbles. It represents a sculpture so strange that it is impossible for man to imitate. It represents any kind of animal, any kind of caricature. He goes on to say, I said to myself, since nature is willing to do the sculpture, I will do the masonry and the architecture. So for 33 years during his mail route, his his rounds, Cheval would pick up stones and carry them home in his pants. But then he switched to carry them, carrying them in a basket. Sure. And ultimately, when things got really serious, he would do his entire postal route Uh, pushing a wheelbarrow, and he would fill the wheelbarrow up with stones and take them home at the end of the day. I love that. He constructed the palace. As he was constructing the palace, he continued 
to do his mail rounds. So he often worked at night by light of oil lamp, and it took him 20 years just to build the outer walls. He bound the stones that he collected on his postal route together with lime, mortar, and cement. Unbelievable. The east side of the palace was one of the longest walls, and uh, it's very intricately designed, and that was one of the reasons why it took so long to do the outer walls. Mostly the east wall was, was responsible for that. It includes the Temple of Nature, which is an Egyptian-style temple-like structure supported by thick sandstone columns, and incorporated into the wall are two waterfalls one he calls the source of life and the other the source of wisdom. Where is the water for the waterfalls coming from? He constructed this aqueduct system <laughs> inside and you don't see it, but water just shoots out of the walls. Oh my God. Once he completed, and again, it took him 33 years to do so, the different styles of the, fa of the palace began to emerge. It showed inspiration from many different styles, uh, from Christianity to Hinduism. And as I mentioned, there were quotes and poems that were hand-carved by Cheval all over the palace. Some of the quotes came from Cheval himself, most of them, in fact, such as, quote, the work of one man. Out of a dream, I have brought forth the queen of the world. Another said, this is of art and energy. Another the ecstasy of a beautiful dream and the prize of the effort. On a different wall, the dream of a peasant. I like the idea that he felt that his thoughts and his words were important enough to immortalize in that way. Yeah, he, he, he wrote, uh, let me see, the, the Temple of Life, a uh, place of imagination, but the most iconic phrase that was inscribed on the walls reads, quote, 1879 through 1912, 10,000 days, 93,000 hours, 33 years of struggle. Let those who think they can do better try. Wow. I struggle with a tweet. <laughs> Cheval desired to be buried in his palace when he passed away, but uh, that was impossible. It, it's illegal to do so in France. So after spending 33 years building the Palais Ideal, he then spent another eight years building a mausoleum for himself in a cemetery nearby. Wow. And a year after he finished building his mausoleum, he died and was entombed there. Just before his death, he received all kinds of recognition from notable architects and artists and scholars, including Pablo Picasso. Picasso so admired Cheval's work that he created a series of drawings telling a narrative of Cheval's story in cartoon fashion. Oh, okay. In 1969, the Minister of Culture declared the Palais a cultural landmark and that it should be, and it is today, officially protected. And then in 1986, Cheval's likeness was appropriately put on a French postage stamp. My source information, factorcheval.com, the New York Times, and uh, Wikipedia. Wow. What an amazing man and uh, quite a vision. It reminds me of the guy who built the Coral Castle. I was going to say the same thing. I just don't have the patience for that kind of thing. I'm so impressed by that kind of like focus and patience. This, I just, I. Oof. The single mindedness 
of yeah. it. And, uh, you know, sure, you can be dedicated to something as strongly as that. Um, but, man, to keep it up for yeah. 33 friggin' years is one a remarkable uh, accomplishment. And one more thing on our list to do. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout and you will save thanks aura frames for bringing my family a little bit closer this message is sponsored by green light you know as your kids get older there are some things about parenting that gets easier i remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece if you put your pants on i'll give you some fresca and when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right it's a lot easier to manage them Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? <sighs> Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. And now... That thing in the middle. We've known for a long time that plants communicate with each other. And the three major ways they communicate is by using volatile organic compounds, electrical signaling, and common mycorrhizal networks between plants and a host of other organisms, such as soil microbes, other plants, animals, insects, and fungi. 
For example, you know that smell of freshly cut grass that we love so much? What that is, is the grass crying out for help. Lorraine sends us an email. Kiora, R-O-T-R-O-R. She spelled that out phonetically for me. Thank you. Um, yeah. Uh, just love your show and listen religiously. Also, the shallow end. I hope my effort of giving you the phonetic spelling of the uh, of the words work. If not, don't worry. I, I sure as hell am not going to lambaste you for it. And probably ref- reflects my poor attempt at phonetics. Okay. My ears pricked up listening to box 512 when Kat was talking about Mrs. Chippy and Harry McNeish on Shackleton's expedition as their graves are on one of my regular dog walking routes. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, I have a connection with the show. First time I walked past the grave, my old dog Eric, Eric the half a dog, Monty Python reference for you, <laughs> got a hell of a fright when he looked up and saw the cat statue looking at him. <laughs> I tried to take an artistic picture for you with the grave, Archie, my dog, and me, but I looked like a stunned mullet in all of them, and Archie, who is actually quite cute, was not in the posing mode. Fortunately, Mrs. Chippy is fantastic. I attached a series of photos for your entertainment. I, too, was mortified that Mrs. Chippy met his untimely end the way he did. Keep up the great work. Love the podcast. Lorraine. Thanks, Lorraine. Nikki wrote, my dearest love bugs, I was sorely disappointed by box 516, your period euphemisms. Normalize. However, French twice. We did share two yeah, French euphemisms. Yeah. That's true. We did. The thing I'm kind of bummed about is I'm learning Arabic and nothing. I intend on getting a phrase for you as I have a friend who is Middle Eastern. You are welcome. Thank you. By the way, I did look one up and uh, an Arabic euphemism for... The period is. I have the monthly habit. Okay. Also, please don't leave Florida. You are incredible people. Thank you so much, and I'm I'm really sorry about the the lack of Arabic. Also, no matter where we are, we're still here. You guys, we're a family. No matter where we live. Ew. Yeah, that came off really creepy and gross. Sorry. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. When Johann Rahl received the letter on Christmas Day, 1776, he put it away to read later. Maybe he thought it was a season's greeting and wanted to save it for the fireside. But what it actually was, was a warning, delivered to the Hessian colonel, letting him know that General George Washington was crossing the Delaware and would soon attack his forces. The next day, when Rawl lost the Battle of Trenton and died from two colonial Boxing Day musket balls, the letter was found, unopened in his vest pocket. 
As someone with 15,000 unread emails in his inbox, I feel like there's a lesson there. Oh well, this is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. Every episode, we look at the bad ideas, mistakes, and accidents that misshaped our world. Find us at ConstantPodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, my love, what you got? In the 1870s, one of the most popular and highly available patent medicines around the world, a pre-manufactured product that you could have bought at your average pharmacy in the late 19th century, was Valentine's meat juice. (laughs) That sounds like a euphemism, too. (laughs) (laughs) What did you get for Valentine's Day? Oh, I got the old Valentine's meat juice. Yeah, that's gross. All right. So in the fall of 1870, Man S. Valentine II, who was a dry goods salesman in Virginia. Wasn't he the guitarist for the animals? (laughs) There was Hilton Valentine. Oh, that's right. You actually made uh, Long Island iced teas with him. Yes, we had a Long Island iced tea making contest. And you won? Oh, no. No. No, no. My version of Long Island iced tea involved Lipton's iced tea mix with vodka. Well, there you go. It's quick, simple, and to the point. It got the job done. Let's get to the drinking. Anyway, rest in peace, Hilton. Man S. Valentine II had his own dry goods store in Richmond, and things were going okay, but his wife, Anne Maria, fell ill. Valentine later wrote that she had a severe and protracted derangement of the organs of digestion. I love the way they Mm -hmm. described medical conditions back in the old timey times. Yep. Her organs were deranged. Mm -hmm. It's suspected that she may have actually had stomach cancer, but it's hard to say for sure. So as his wife became more and more ill and increasingly unable to take in nutrients, he wanted to create something to help her. So sweet. The answer, meat juice. (laughs) My experiments, Valentine later wrote, pointed to extracting the soluble constitutes of flesh, first by mechanically tearing asunder the broad muscular fiber, secondly by the application of heat at a low temperature, rupturing the ultimate fibers, and thirdly by the adoption of judicious pressure, liberating from the entire body of the meat all the constitutes contained in it. So it's broth, pretty much. It's cooked meat juiced. Okay. Cooking the beef at a low temperature and then pressure cooking it, he extracted juice from the meat that retained more, he said, of the nutritional value and was acceptable, quote, to the most irritable stomach, he wrote. Take that juice, add in some egg whites and later glycerin, and you've got yourself some meat juice. Anna's condition upon consuming the concoction seemed to improve. Valentine was thrilled and super encouraged, so he made more. And he began Valentine's Meat Juice. He sent samples off to doctors and started to bottle and sell the tonic out of his home. Patients were instructed to take one teaspoon of the tonic diluted with two or three tablespoons of water. It could be cold water or lukewarm water, but not hot water. Now, this was at a time when there were no um, refrigerators. Yeah, it wasn't necessary to refrigerate this. But it's meat juice. Once, I mean, I can see if you seal it up nice and tight, but once you open it, what would the expiration date be on that? I mean, how much time would you have before meat juice goes bad? I mean, how long do you think this precious tonic is going to be hanging around? Yeah, it sounds delicious. 
Many people also mixed it into soup, or if they had an especially uh, upset tummy, they would mix it in with crushed ice. One could also choose to administer it as an enema, but using more of it was advised. Oh. Yeah. So you, yeah. Yeah. Put just, meat juice right up there. Just shoot, shoot it right up there. Mm-hmm. <sighs> now, we've talked about medicine mm-hmm. during this time, um, and rarely was the conclusion that was a great idea. <laughs> Medicinal compounds in the 19th century, which were sold with very creative names and even more outrageous claims, they were part care, yeah, but it was mostly showmanship. I'm actually surprised that P.T. Barnum didn't get into the, the medicine game. Yeah, no kidding. What made these people successful was not so much the medicinal qualities of the product, but how you sold the product. Valentine's Meat Juice. In diarrhea, dysentery, and cholera infantum, where it is essential to conserve the weakened vital forces without irritating the digestive organs, Valentine's Meat Juice demonstrates its ease of assimilation and power to sustain and strengthen. Valentine's Meat Juice. Man S. Valentine II was no different. He brought his meat juice to the International Exposition in Philadelphia. It's so hard to say (laughs) his meat juice. (laughs) I'm sorry. So he went to the exposition in Philadelphia in 1876 and eventually went to the Paris Exposition determined to get greater visibility for his product. And it worked. So much so that they were meat juice imposters. Valentine trademarked the design of his bottle and his logo. He had to sue a London company called the Valentine Extract Company of London, uh-huh. which manufactured meat globules. That sounds delicious, too. Mm. Um, and he ended up winning that case, too, which I think is oh. really interesting for the you know 1800s. They were so loosey-goosey about those kinds of things. And the people, they loved it. Several doctors described administering Valentine's meat juice to patients who refused any other form of nourishment, liquid or solid, and witnessing signs of recovery. Anne Maria lived for two more years after Valentine first revived her with his beef tonic. Now, there was a bit of a scandal in the 1880s when... VMJ, as we're, we're going to lovingly call it, was cited as a possible delivery method of arsenic in the Maybrick murder case. Though, according to chemistryworld.com, food and sanitation journal, looking back on it, says it's possible that starvation was actually the cause of death in that case, as Valentine's meat juice alone would not contain the nutrients to sustain life. Hmm. Now, in 1906... The Pure Food and Drug Act mandates were passed to prohibit the manufacture, sale, and transportation of adulterated, misbranded, poisonous foods, liquors, drugs, medicines. Was that when they took the cocaine out of Coca-Cola? I guess. Okay. Killjoys. Really, they were saying what you put on your label and what you put in your product is important and we need to know, you know, exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. Not long after that, Valentine's Meat Juice uh, rebranded its product as a flavoring for cooking rather than a health tonic. Now, in 1898, the Valentine opened as the first private museum in Richmond with man's brother, Edward, as the president. And this museum is housed in the same dry goods store that man ran for all those years. And it's really dedicated to man Valentine's 
success as the Valentine meat juice guy. Are you telling me there's a meat juice museum? Mm-hmm. Yeah, in Richmond. And we haven't been there. Good Lord. I know. Why have we not heard about this? Well, we're going. Major manufacturing and distribution dissolved in the 1950s. Really? Although the company officially dissolved in the 1980s, but the museum still holds the trademark. The Valentine Richmond History Center, where visitors can see a small exhibit that pays tribute to the world-famous meat juice, has recently, though, partnered with Texas Beach Bloody Mary Mix, the Richmond-based Bloody Mary Maker, and they've created a Bloody Mary mix named for Valentine Meat Juice, created by the museum's founder and namesake 150 years ago. But does it contain the meat juice? It contains no meat juice. Oh, good God. I don't want meat and tequila in a drink. No, it's just a Bloody Mary mix to pay homage. It's the Valentine Meat Juice Bloody Mary mix. I guess vodka, right? Yeah. Oh, well, you mind. can make it whatever you want. I suppose that's, that's true. like I used to order rumaritas all the time. That's <laughs> who cares. Anyway, uh, it became available for sale November seventeenth of last year, and one hundred percent of the proceeds go to the Valentine Museum. That's really amazing. Yes. Please let's go. You had me at Meat Juice Museum. I got my information from The Quack Doctor, Axios Richmond, ChemistryWorld.com, Rick Today, Abandoned Country, and Atlas Obscura. Big thanks to Sarah, who brought Valentine's Meat Juice to my attention. (laughs) Thank you, Sarah. What would we do without the Freak Family? My God. Speaking of that, if you have not become a member of the Freaks Group, a Box of Oddities podcast group on Facebook... Might we suggest that you do? I think there's about 12, 11, 12, 13,000 members, and everybody is so cool. There's no bullshit on this site. Our mods are the best. It's true. It's just love and acceptance and weirdness, not necessarily in that order. Thank you for being so amazing. Oh, and thank you to those who have recently sent us mail. God, if we move, we're going to have to change our address again. I know. Ugh. Ugh. Hate it so much. So confusing. Anyway, we'll keep you updated on that. And for everything Box of Oddities, you can go to our website, The Box. <laughs> Sorry, I just choked on my own spit. <laughs> you okay? Yep. <laughs> Sorry. And for everything Box of Oddities, you can go to our website, theboxofoddities.com. There you'll find uh, the link for Patreon, if you want to become a member of the Order of Freaks, uh, get your shows ad-free and all kinds of other stuff. Also, merch. And when we start doing live shows again, we'll have all the live shows listed there as well. We'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. 
we wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2023. All rights reserved. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone. Stakuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.